fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right Hey, Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Heather Dolph Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Tracy, we are so excited for our upcoming live event in Indianapolis with Tragedy of Cinema and Middle Aged and Creeped Out. Yes, we're looking forward to seeing all of you. I'm Todd. I'm Nate. And I'm Sean. And we are Middle Aged and Creeped Out. We are looking forward to sharing some creepy stories with all of our hometown listeners. I'm Jimbo with the Tragedy of Cinema. And I'm Kyle, also with Tragedy of Cinema. Indy is also our hometown, and we have the perfect horror movie to break down for you guys. Come out and see us on Saturday, July 16th at the VFW on South Lockburn and help veterans at the same time. All three shows are clean, so this is a family-friendly event. Tickets are just $20. Seating is limited, so get your tickets now at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Hey guys, welcome to episode 308 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy, it's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all of you uh, dads out there. Absolutely, guys. You guys are awesome, and we appreciate y'all so much. As usual, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants from our allied forces all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all of you men, women, and service animals. God bless you guys so much. Thank you for watching over us. And so we can sleep better at night. We love you guys and we pray for you all every single day. Tracy, we've had, uh, I was just noticing on Facebook this week, we have had three deaths that somehow affect us. I mean, it's friends and... Mm -hmm. And stuff like that, and, and friends of friends, and um, I know this wouldn't apply to most people, but Mike Pratt, who was the uh, uh, University of Kentucky basketball player back in the uh, in the late '60s, and uh, he played for Adolph Rupp, but he was in uh, uh, you know Hall of Famer for University of Kentucky, and done a lot of stuff. But he's been our play-by-play color analysis for the last 21 years. He passed away from cancer. The other day, and I mean, it's very sad. You know, it just anytime you used to have deaths in the family, it start getting you to think about your own mortality and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And of course, he passed away from cancer, which is just you know a horrible disease. And uh, it just made me start realizing how many people I see on Facebook that are going through stuff like this, where they're trying to deal with deaths in the family, or they're dealing with their own illnesses or yes. something, mm-hmm. and just. Makes you realize that, hey, everybody gets down sometimes. Reach out to your friends and family members if you think they might be struggling. And uh, trust me, you know, I've I've reached out to a young lady that's a a listener to the show that that had a terrible car accident. She knows who she is. And Mm -hmm. she said it just meant the world that we reached out to her. And, and, you know, you just don't know whose life you affect just by reaching out and letting them know that you care. Yeah, God bless her and... and you know, continued prayers and everything's going to be okay. And, uh, you know, just if anybody just needs to talk 
we don't even have to say a word. If you just want to call, yep, we'll listen. we will certainly listen to whatever you guys have to say. And just know that we're always there for you. Um, the group is amazing. Again, we're so blessed with this group. We don't even, I don't know how we can't even say it enough, I don't think. Um, but if you would rather do the hotline, that number is 1-800-273-8255. You can also text at 741-741. We love you guys, and we're here to help as much as we can. Tracy, we got a, a fun show lined up tonight. We've also got a special guest, Bob Gilmer. He's with the KS White Noise Paranormal. Mm -hmm. He has got some cool stories to talk about, including something I didn't even know existed. It's a salt museum in Kansas. A it's salt? A, it, it was an underground salt mine <gasps> that goes literally for miles underneath the city. I think it's called, I can't remember, Hutchinson, I think, Kansas. And Can I move in? It's a museum that you could. I said, I said, if Tracy could pick one way in life to for her life to finally end, it would probably be in a cave in in that salt mine. <laughs> 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 yeah, my tongue be pretty wore out though. He said, licking the walls. He said you can go in that that salt mine. And there's things that hasn't been touched since like the 1940s. Isn't that like, amazing? There's like garbage down there from the miners that they just never took up that's still down there. That, like candy bar wrappers and stuff. Very cool. But he said there's actually bits of that sand that you can actually put in a bag and take up. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time that, that that, or I said sand, salt. You can put that like salt in a bag they'll give you and you can take it up. And it's the first time that salt has ever been actually above ground. So... But he's got some really cool stories. Yeah, so definitely. He'll be on there uh, as a special guest tonight. Tracy, what? I started looking back, as I often do, I started looking back at places that we haven't had on the show very often. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that, I, as best of my knowledge, we've only done one story from Italy. Get out of here. You know, and, of course, that was the uh, Paviglia Island and that huh. was that's been a couple of years back. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would search out and find a story. Did you find something good? I did. Awesome. I will say, this week I had to send my computer in for a couple of days. Oh yeah, to have definitely. some work done on it. Mm -hmm. So it slowed up my research a little bit, and then just life in general, other stuff going on. It just hit at a very bad time for the <laughs> uh, for this computer to be in there. So this is going to be a probably a little bit shorter story. Not much shorter, but it's probably going to be a little shorter story because I couldn't do as much research as I would have liked to do. I can't research on my phone. You know, I know. I and just it's, can't. it's just amazing how much we depend on our computers these days. So, oh, well, it is what it is. I mean, you I can mean, look you the same that thing of, to death. I you mean, you can look the same kind of stuff up on your phone, but well, I just can't take looking at that screen. And yeah. I like to be able to switch back and forth between tabs mm -hmm. when I do this and I can't do yeah, that. Yeah, anyway. I understand. It is what it is. Anyways, the location that we're going to be discussing tonight is the Villa de Vecchi. More commonly known as the Red House. Now, this mansion is nestled against the forested mountains of, I probably screwed this up too because my Italian is not great, Cortanova. Now, we mentioned that it is known as the Red House because its original color was red. And that's going to tie into some factors in a little bit. Mm -hmm. The whole entire house was red? It was, but it's since been painted kind of a white. But patches of the red are now clearly visible these days because of the lack of upkeep and nature just kind of running its course, as uh, you can imagine something sitting just for years and years and years. Oh, I'm sure. 
Maybe it's a pink house now. <laughs> John Cougar Mellencamp would be excited. <laughs> the home also has a few other nicknames, like the Ghost Mansion and the House of Witches. Oh, nice. There's a good reason for these nicknames, and we'll get into some of those as we go. Some of these nicknames actually come from the history of the mansion. So to say that there were some tragedies involved from the very beginning would be putting it mildly. I'm going to point out that with like all the legends at some of these places we cover, they might just be that, legends. So we're going to be discussing some of those tonight. And some of the things that we're going to talk about may have already been debunked. I'm going to give you both sides of the story and I'll let you decide. Okay. So let's go back to the construction of the mansion. Count Felix de Vecchi. He was the head of the Italian National Guard. He was a hero because of his contribution to the revolution in 1848 that led to Milan's liberation from Austria. He also had bank. This man had money. Mm -hmm. The Count set out to build a dream house for his family. And this was not a a total live-in house. It was a summer home. So (laughs) when you can build a mansion just as your summer home. Oh, yeah. You're doing okay. Yeah, you're definitely rolling in the dough. So the Count had gotten married. And he had traveled all over the world. Now, before he got married, he traveled over to Asia and uh, parts of Africa. Mm-hmm. He had went to Turkey. He had went to uh, some parts of the uh, the Middle East, other than Turkey. And he also went to Egypt. So he was fascinated by all these things. And all this would be uh, eventually incorporated into the house. Oh, that's cool. And then after he got met his wife, they traveled all over Italy and other parts of Europe and all this stuff. So he kind of knew... His what his fascinations were. Well, good for him. And when he did a lot of this traveling, he also did a lot of drawing of mm-hmm. stuff that he liked. So he had all these th- these things just kind of laid out. Yeah. There weren't a lot of cameras back in the yeah. 1840s. So. <laughs> anyway, so he hired this esteemed architect by the name of Alessandro Sedola. And he wanted him to design this house. And obviously he told him everything he would like to have. So, Sedola designed this great mansion with a blend of Baroque and classic Eastern styles. It had all the modern conveniences, such as... I want to know what the modern conveniences were back in that day. Indoor heating pipes. Oh. So, they actually had pipes in the walls that they would use to heat the home. Well, that's cool. They had dumb waiters, so they they could actually... Well, that's rude. (laughs) So So, they could, like... Uh, hoist their stuff up and down. Hoist their stuff up and down for Mm -hmm. like food from the Mm -hmm. kitchen and stuff to the other floors. They had a large scale pressurized fountain. I'm not exactly sure how that worked, but it was this beautiful water fountain that they had that supposedly is not there anymore. And at one point in time, they said this thing started pumping blood. (gasps) I'm sure that was just a myth, but that was what one Uh, of them Yeah, I wouldn't want that anymore. The walls and the ceilings in this place were painstakingly detailed. I mean, there was like all this different like molding that they mm-hmm. used. And there's a, I can't remember the term they used for them back then, but it was like this, this molding that was, um, it was hand, hand carved. And then it was also painted 
that was real intricate paint jobs. Yeah. But they were throughout the whole place. There was also a larger-than-life fireplace in the main parlor, and the main parlor also had a grand piano. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Place. The outside was just as beautiful with elaborate gardens and and uh, that was surrounded the whole property. Sounds to me like they're showing off a little bit. Yes. And it's like right there stuck. He wanted these mountains as his background. So, I mean, where it was at, there was, I think it says, right, a million square foot was his part of the property. And it, it kind of backed straight up to the mountains as their backdrop. Oh, I bet that's so beautiful. Yeah, it is. How do you know? Because I've got seen pictures. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got... I've, I actually saved a bunch of these pictures from the inside and the out that I'll be able to post. post. Yeah. Okay, good. There was also an impressive staff house that was built on the property. Unfortunately, the architect, I've heard his name pronounced Sadoli, Sadola, and Sadola. So I don't know which way it is. So now you've heard me say it all three ways. But anyway, it didn't matter because uh, he wouldn't live to see his masterpiece completed. Oh, no. He died a year before completion. Oh, that is so annoying. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm sure he was very annoyed by that. Well, he was. You work all this long time to get these things done and you can't even enjoy it. Right. Now, looking back, many seem to think that the architect's death may have been an omen considering everything else that happens. No kidding. Going forward. So, here's our first bit of questionable history. The legend says that in 1862, the Count returned home one day to find his wife had brutally been murdered and his daughter was missing. The Count put on a lengthy but unsuccessful search for his daughter. Later that year, due to a broken heart, he would commit suicide. Aww. Now, here's what we know for a fact. The villa was a summer residence for the family, so they didn't live there full time. It took three years to be built, from 1854 to 1857. From other stories, the Count became severely ill in the early 1860s, and supposedly... He was widowed before he even moved into the house. So his wife had passed away from something else before he even moved in there. Therefore, she could not have been murdered. And as far as the missing daughter, I don't, I couldn't find anything to say whether that was true or not true. If the murder couldn't have happened there, the missing daughter thing probably didn't make sense. Unless yeah. there was a different story that involved a missing daughter. I was going to say maybe it was a them. ransom thing or something. Since well, and then some people say that the murder of his wife and the missing daughter was like a payback because this guy was, you know, obviously he was a big shot and he was involved in the liberation of his mm -hmm. country, that it it was payback from, you know, something militarily done. Yeah. But there's no proof that that happened. What we do know, what I feel like I know, based on the other sources, is that in the 1860s, he actually had a... A severe illness from a chronic liver disorder and he died at 46 in Milan because he spent his time in between Milan and here which is a summer home mm -hmm. but it everything that I'm saying says he died from a chronic liver illness in the 1860s at the age of 46 and he died in Milan so young so not suicide right but I'll leave that up to you guys to decide whether it was suicide or not because some stories say suicide 
from a broken heart, and some stories say his wife was dead before they even moved into the place, so that couldn't be at any doubt of liver failure. So, what we do know is when he died, all of his wealth was left to his two children, but was put in the hands of his brother, Brago. Brago apparently wasn't a big fan of some of the eastern uh, decorations within the house, and he had a lot of it removed, including some domes that were built inside the home. Well, why in the world would he do that? I guess he just didn't like the way it looked, and he was living there, so... Anyway, he had a lot of this stuff just ripped from the home, basically. Brago and his family continued living on that property up until World War II, and I think this includes the kids. Mm-hmm. I think they ended up taking it, but... So you're talking in the 1860s when he inherited, and they lived... All the way up to World War II, which was the 1940s. Mm-hmm. They were there a pretty good, long, yeah. good time. Now, there were other various owners after they moved out up until the 1960s. But over that next 20 years, there was lots of damage to the house. To some of it's natural. Some of it was not natural. As you can imagine, a place that big was probably hard to upkeep. And you got to stay on top of that stuff. If you don't upkeep every little thing, you start having roof problems and mm-hmm. all kinds of other issues. Uh, And that's kind of what started to happen. For example, the pipes in the walls that we talked about, the heated pipes, they apparently end up doing so much damage to the upstairs that the owners in like the 50s and the 60s, they had to quit using the second floor completely. And eventually the home was left abandoned in the 1960s, and that's where it sits today in complete disarray. The uh, effects of nature... And then vandals would actually take over after that, which is what's put it in such a bad shape. Well, you just can't have anything nice. No. Now the place is actually crumbling. It's filled with graffiti. Aww. And a lot of the vandalism came from fans of Aleister Crowley. And you're probably thinking... What's that heifer got to do with it? Right. That's what you're probably thinking. What the hell's he got to do with it? Well, there was a rumor that Crowley spent a few nights there in that house... In the 1920s. And during this stay, he supposedly had some ritualistic orgies and he made some sacrifices. Some say they were animal sacrifices. Others say they were humans. There's also a story that there was a suicide in the house during the time that he stayed there, which may have all had some kind of uh, connection. There's another, this is another one of those, those stories, though, that you have to decide, did it happen or did it not happen? Aleister Crowley did spend time in Italy setting up the Abbey of the uh, Thelema, which was his religion he set up in Sicily. But it's not known if he actually did spend time in the mansion or not. But it didn't matter because word got out that that was, the, that was what actually happened and Aleister Crowley had a lot of fans that then wanted to go to that house because the story was obviously he had rituals and he had unleashed stuff there just like he did at Boleskine house. Mm -hmm. The building has been locked for several years now, ever since a woman was actually injured when she was up on the second floor and the floor gave way. And uh, obviously, I'm sure lawsuits probably yeah. ensued, mm-hmm. even though she wasn't supposed to be there to begin with. Right, right. But so they've had it locked up and kind of boarded where supposedly people can't get inside of it now. The owner of the property says that they would actually give up the property for free to anybody who would restore it. 
but apparently this would cost right around 6 million euros, which is about 6.3 million US dollars. And I, I'm, trust me, I'm, look, I'm looking at the pictures. I can't see how anybody it's could that bad? It's that bad. I mean, what it's, a it's, shame. It's roofs caved in. Uh, the whole outside, most of the outside is grown up with uh, vines and stuff mm-hmm. like that. There's roots coming through the floor. Complete vandalism. It's It's horrible looking. So what about the paranormal activity? Some actually call this Italy's most haunted house. Paranormal investigators have heard everything from female voices to piano playing. Now, keep in mind that the piano is still there, but it's been completely destroyed. It ain't playing. People suck, man. Well, some of some of that has just been because of overtime. Well, I guess so. I 140 mean... years or whatever. But locals claim that they hear that piano being played on a nightly basis. They also claim that they hear chanting that is believed to be coming from spirits or demons that Aleister Crowley unlocked during that ritual, and now they're trapped in the house. He just cannot leave things alone. He cannot. He's always got to be in somebody's business. So the question is, is this place actually haunted? Well... Not if you ask Giuseppe Negri. He said that in reality, there is no ghost. It's all crap. He claims that he was the ghost. And he's got good reason to say this. He said when he was young, his great-grandfather was the gardener on the property. Remember I told you they had mm-hmm. a very nice place for the servants to live. All right. So they lived on the property. After his grandfather, or great-grandfather, his grandfather also was the gardener. So this was like a family thing. He grew up there on that property. And he said this was his home. It was so beautiful, and they spent so much time there. And he has so many just great memories from the place. Oh, he must be devastated. Well, he was because he said once the stories about Crowley started getting around, which he says he says is all BS. Once the stories about Crowley started getting around, people started to come to the villa and they would sneak in during the night and they would smash up the doors and they would spray paint all over the place. And he said that this just completely devastated him. Mm-hmm. So he decided that he would dress up like a ghost with bed sheets, just like you would typically see on cartoons or whatever, to try to scare people off. He said it was actually a teamwork effort. He would dress up like a ghost, and his brother-in-law would go upstairs. Mm-hmm. And if they caught anybody upstairs, his brother-in-law would kind of chase them downstairs to where Giuseppe would then scare them and try to get them the heck out of here. He said, matter of fact, this was actually a time where a lot of people were wearing boots. It was like boots were in style. So everybody wore boots. So when the people would come running towards him, he would reach out and slap them on their boots <laughs> and freak them out. And he said it, it, just the sound that from slapping on the boots was something that he got so much joy out of. And he said to hear them running out of there scared, it was a blast. How long do you keep that up for? I don't know. A while. He said another time, Giuseppe, be said, exhausting. He, Giuseppe said he came across one of his employees 
and it, and he was upstairs with a flashlight trying to see who was there. And then suddenly he just saw his employee and it freaked him out a little bit. And he just, he saw his face with the flashlight and he just immediately punched him just like as a reaction. And he said that, he said that the employee still remembers that to this day. And that was like 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're punching the face peach cobbler. That's right. So there was, pro- that was pro- he said that was probably when the rumors of ghosts started, started is yeah. from him. But the people who live around there say they still hear stuff and mm-hmm. they don't believe that Giuseppe, they believe he probably did that stuff. But that's mm-hmm. not the only thing that they're hearing in the house. They still hear the piano and there's no way to justify that because there's no electricity up there. There's no piano. There's nothing that where you could get that sound. Without it coming, you know, from a real piano. I mean, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that were, you know, lived in that place or whatever or pissed off at now looking at this beautiful mansion. Well, that's interesting you say that because Giuseppe says that he is disgusted at the way the, the villa looks today. And he refuses to even go inside. He they used to spend so many wonderful days there. It was like heaven on earth. And that's the way he wants to remember it. That's really sad. That's a shame that. People can't just get a life and not go in there and do all that stuff. So the question is, do you think the villa is really haunted or possibly cursed? And before you make your decision, there's one last thing to consider. In 2002, there was an avalanche on the mountain. Huge boulders came crashing down the side of the mountains. Every one of them stopped just a few feet from the villa, and did absolutely no damage. That's that's pretty awesome. Something to at least keep in mind. That's very true. So I don't, for, I don't think it was cursed. I just think... Uh, I, oh, man. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's a combination of bad history with the architect dying like he did, Made-up stories, like possibly the Aleister Crowler story and mm-hmm. possibly the, you know, his wife being murdered and the kid missing. I mean, if all that stuff was true, you could probably throw cursed in there. But if most of it's not true, then all you've got is a haunted location. Mm-hmm. And even then, you could see there wasn't a whole lot of stories other than people hearing the piano. Yeah. And, well, that's and, true. You know, I guess it could have been cursed. But I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if you got anything other than just a, you know, beautiful building that with had unfortunate that <laughs> had a couple for because I didn't really see anything bad that happened from the time that he passed away in the 1860s to the time that the family left it in the 1940s. I mean, there's 80 years where there really wasn't anything listed as anything major happening. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Limp Mansion where. There was constant suicides and stuff mm-hmm. like that in the house. But I don't know. Pretty bizarre. That's a shame. So. All right, Tracy, we're going to take a quick sponsor break, and then we'll be back. Obviously, we've got our interview with Bob Gilmer. You don't want to miss that. That's fun. You could hear about salt. Mm-hmm. Everybody My likes, mouth's watering already. I'm sure it is. But uh, so we'll be back in just a second. All right, Tracy, quick Update, we are starting to sell tickets left and right for the Indianapolis show. I know, it's so exciting. And you know what? I was completely wrong. I thought there was 60 tickets Mm -hmm. 
available in the beginning. There was only 50. Oh. It only seats 50. Oh. So, because you know we had to rent room for us. Well, yeah. We yeah. actually have to be able to sit down and stuff, too. Well, I know. So, I same, think I'm, well, I'll say that again. Sometimes we forget that we have to include ourselves. Yeah. So, but so, yeah, there was only 50 tickets available from the beginning, and we're selling, starting to sell like crazy. So, jump in there and get your tickets. This is going to be a family-friendly event. So, mm-hmm. clean show. How about that? Nice. Sounds great to me. Yeah. Can't wait. And uh, I think we're going to have um, uh, Todd and, and his group, Nate and Sean, I think they're going to send us a couple of uh, of clips or one of their shows to be able to put on. So if you haven't heard Middle-Aged and Creeped Out, it'll give you a chance to listen to some of their stuff. You're going to really love those. And you're going to love James and, and his group from uh, Tragedy to Cinema. I don't know what story they're going to do yet, but it'll be, it'll be on a... Obviously, a, a horror movie, because that's what they do as movies. <laughs> so, kind of excited to see where they go with that. They, they do a great job of breaking movies down. Yeah, they do. An, an excellent job. Makes you think. Yep. And another thing that, of course, we're going to have all of our food products there. And one of the things we should have, as long as we get everything done in time, which I think we will, is the new Tracy's Punch You in the Face Peach Cobbler. <laughs> So if you haven't seen the artwork, we got all the artwork and everything done on it. And uh, I'm hoping that I'll have product in my hand in the next two weeks. Yeah. So, they, so we'll have that in time for uh, the live events we got coming up. Yeah. And also we got Cereal Spirits and our, what is it, our birthday show. Mm-hmm. Six year birthday of Hibbley Horror Stories in August at the old hospital on College Hill with Serial Spirits. That one comes with a tour. Yeah, so, that's awesome. going to be fun. Can't wait for that. All right, Tracy, what we got over there? All right, on our iTunes this week, we have Anna Savannah, Sand Dune 37, Mojo Lobster, and Fire 1523. Thank you guys for your reviews. They were so sweet and really makes our heart happy. And we appreciate y'all taking the time out to do that for us. Uh, Patreons this week, we have Vicki Knight. Thank you for your support, honey. We appreciate you so much. Uh, just keep on keeping on, guys. You you are the reason we're uh, hanging in there and still going strong. So we love you all so much. Absolutely. All right, let's listen to Bob Gilmer real quick. All right. Hey, guys, I've got Bob Gilmer on, and uh, I've been trying to get this going for a little bit. We were uh, both kind of busy, so... That and then uh, I, I reached out to Bob and said, "Hey, let's do this." And then I never got back with Bob about coming on, <laughs> but we got it all worked out. But uh, Bob is a paranormal investigator. He's with the KS White Noise Paranormal out of Wichita, Kansas, is where Bob hails from, and uh, he also has a couple of podcasts out there. He's the host of the Villain Villa podcast, and another one that we're going to focus on more tonight. Bob, thanks for coming on, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Finally. Life gets in the way. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to talk to you. So, Bob, you originally told me uh, that you've got it's kind of a true crime story that that deals with uh, an area up in your neck of the woods. And we're going to get into that. But first, tell me a little bit about Bob Gilmer. Uh, so so you're with KS White, White Noise Paranormal. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, some stuff that your, your group does. Okay, uh, the group I'm on with now, um, they are very uh, different. Uh, I'm so used to uh, investigating that's scientific investigating and trying to disprove the paranormal. That's the team I was on since 2007. We were part of the TAPS family, which is uh, uh, Jason Hawes. 
he was like our boss. He's, uh, they have a team in every state. So I'm so used to investigating that way is to, you know, try to dis disprove stuff. And then you get an EVP and have to send it back to them and, and see if it's okay. The team I'm on now are is more spiritual and they have um, sensitives on their team. They, they go about things differently. So I thought to see the other side of that investigating, taking my almost like skeptic side, but I also am a believer and bringing maybe bringing that to their team and seeing where we can work in like somewhere in the middle of scientific and um, like psychics and stuff like that. And they do a lot more cryptid stuff. So I wanted to, to branch out instead of just dealing with ghosts and paranormal stuff. I wanted to branch out to Bigfoot and like UFOs and all kinds of stuff. And um, the lady that's actually on the team, uh, she works with the local police department to try to find missing people. Um, she's a very, very good psychic. Um, so bringing that into investigating, if I can get like an EVP and then she's picking up something, if we could splice science and, you know, what she does together. And if it makes it more real for me because, you know, she's getting a name and if I could pick that name up on an EVP or something, uh, it, it makes it more real, I guess, it, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to, to, um, to blow that off as it's just, you know, circumstance or, you know, it's just, you know, what are the chances of getting a voice EVP wise with equipment and then having a psychic pick up the same thing. You know, if she's like, I feel something over there and if you can use like an SLS camera and actually pick up a form or something where she's saying where it's at, I, I, I wanted to, you know, more, explore more with that, you know, do experiments with, with that kind of stuff instead of just going straight in with equipment and go, we pick this up, here you go. You know, the team I'm on with now, they help people that live in their homes that are afraid, you know, to go to sleep at night, you know, to try to find answers for people. And that's kind of why I got into investigating in the first place, but then it kind of morphed into more science than actually trying to, you know, the metaphysical stuff. And yeah, so that's where I'm at now. So it's a, it's a new, it's a new path for me and I'm still not hundred percent used to how they do things, but it's, it's a cool experience. So tell me a little bit about uh, the podcast, The Villain Villa. Okay. Uh, Villain Villa podcast. Uh, my friend owns a comic book slash toy store. Um, and they, they sell like toys from the 80s and 70s and, you know, vintage toys and new toys. And we just kind of do like pop culture. It's almost like if you listen to Kevin Smith at all, that he was a big influence. So that podcast is just pop culture movies. Um, all kind of nerd stuff, toys and comics and all that stuff. Uh, we've been doing that for almost three years now and almost 200 episodes. So yeah, that, that, that's like one of my passions is kind of not talking about ghosts. It's talking about, you know, paranormal and movie or movies and all that kind of stuff, not paranormal. And that makes sense. I mean, everybody's got, you know, several different sides to them. Everybody's not, you know, pigeonholed into, Hey, I'm a paranormal investigator. So that's all I want to talk about. You know, so yeah. it's good to have that, but and I'm a professional wrestling fan too, like with WWE and all that stuff. So we talk more about wrestling and, you know, I just have different things to talk about. You know, it's not just, I'm stuck in one, like you, like you just said, I'm not stuck on one side of everything's paranormal because uh, I kind of branch out. Really cool. But on the subject of uh, the paranormal and some history and stuff that we like to cover on here, maybe some true crime. You mm -hmm. actually have another podcast 
that uh, is a little more closely uh, closer to what we we talk about here and what you do uh, in your uh, uh, paranormal life. And you told mm-hmm. me there's a true crime story that relates to all this. So I'm yeah. going to turn it over to you and let you talk about that story. And then we'll get into uh, the podcast and how that fits in with, with uh, the place that you're going to be discussing. And, and the place that we do the podcast from clips into the actual true crime story. They're, they're all tied together. So it's a huge, big, uh, it's, it's hard to, to focus on one thing because this property is amazing. So I'll start from the beginning. Um, there is a museum here in town. Uh, it's called Old Cowtown Museum. It is a living history museum. A lot of the buildings are historical from 1870s to 1890s that were brought in from all over Kansas and brought to this one place. So think of it as like what you would see Dodge City. I mean, that's a pretty famous thing that people could tie it to. But Dodge City, all the buildings aren't historical. They're actually just built there. It's almost like a tourist trap kind of sort of. Because um, Dodge City, where it's at now, isn't actually where Boot Hill and all that stuff took place historically. It's like a mile down the road. So right. the museum there, the museum there is like a tourist trap. This museum is actually a living history museum. Uh, you can walk in a building and know that somebody lived there in the 19 or in the 1890s. Um, and and it's, it's still the exact same way it was there. Uh, people actually volunteer at the museum and they dress like 1890s and they interpret the life and how it was. So it's a very interesting place. And when I first moved to Kansas about 20 years ago, um, I was told about this place. You need to check it out. It's kind of cool. I didn't know anything about paranormal wise. It was just, I'm, I'm a huge fan of history. Um, and that's part of being a paranormal investigator is learning the history of these old buildings we go into. The people and the ghosts and all that stuff are fun, but I love going to these old um, buildings that were built in the 1800s, especially in Kansas, because they're not very old. Um, that's about as far back as they go. Right. Um, yeah, because I'm originally from Pennsylvania. So, you know, there you're dealing with like Gettysburg and, you know, 1700s and stuff. This is, you know, it's kind of newer history. But I just got into learning about each building and stuff. And then in 2007, I, I got into paranormal investigating like full time instead of just a hobby or for fun. And that was one of the main places we would go and investigate. And this property, there's probably, I don't know, 60 buildings or so on this property. And each building has a different history. So once I learned the history of each building, I was like, okay, now I wonder if it holds any paranormal, you know, history to it. So we started getting EVPs and, you know, it's a whole John Howe thing. Each building has a, has different activity in it. So as a paranormal investigator, it's a dream of mine uh, because it has, we get full body apparitions, we get uh, EVPs all over the place. Um, you actually can see things moving there is a seven foot tall shadow man that runs the outside like on the grounds and it's been there since the 1950s people have seen it when because boy scouts go um camping out there and uh they've talked about it uh during events and stuff we've had people come up and go hey have you ever seen the black shadow man that runs around here and i was like yeah and i saw when i was a kid back in the 50s um i've seen him (laughs) at least seven times now it's 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 what the typical shadow person it it's seven foot tall ish it is black like almost like peter pan's shadow 
I mean, that's what it looks like, but standing straight up and down. You can't see any facial details. You can't see anything, but we've actually had a rock thrown at us. My, one of my first investigations, I was standing there outside and we were trying to figure out where to go, uh, which building to do. And from in between these two buildings, there was three of us standing there and this rock just bam, right in between us all. And we look over and there it is. It's about 6.30 at night. So the sun's still up and I look over and there the thing is standing there. And we all take off running after it because we're idiots. And it's like, what were we going to do if we caught it? So it started running. And about five feet in front of us, it turned. You could see the shoulders turn. And then it just disappeared right in front of us. And from that moment, I was hooked about this whole place. And it led me down this path of finding out what the heck the history is. And before, what was it before a museum? It was just a sandbar. It wasn't anything. So the land shouldn't have any historical things happen to it because nobody lived there. It's always been a museum since the 50s. And before that, just the sandbar. But um, Wichita has a lot of Native American history and people think that it's like a spirit guide or something that's just part of the land. Um, that's what people think, but we've never been able to catch it on video. Every time we've set up cameras and stuff outside, um, we always have like the, the files are corrupt and we never get a chance to see it. Um, it's very cool. Uh, but almost everybody in, in our team has seen them now. Uh, okay, so that leads us to the true crime thing. Um, there's a building that's in the parking lot of this museum and it's just a red brick kind of old building. They use it for storage right now, but back in the 1990s, it was the city, city waterwork building. And we were always told that somebody died in that building, but that was all we ever knew. We didn't know a name. We had no idea what this person was. But every time somebody walks into that building, they get scratched. Everybody that works there, the, the director, the girl I do the podcast with, um, the Assembling History podcast about Old Cowtown Museum, um, she gets scratched. Her kids have been scratched. I was standing there and we were doing an interview and we investigated in there and you see shadow movement, you hear growling, like actual audible growling, not through EVP or anything. It's just, you can hear it with your own ears. And it's like a guttural, like animal, like kind of, and you look around and there's nobody there, no rhyme or reason for it. So right now it's just a, it, they gutted all the walls and all that stuff. So it's, it's just a storage building. So about six years ago, I was investigating in there and I'm standing there with four other people and I'm being, uh, we had a camera crew in there and they're actually doing something for Halloween. And the camera guy was interviewing me and I'm standing there and I have my digital voice recorder in one hand and I have a Mel meter in the other hand. And I was explaining like what paranormal activity, you know, like what we do and explaining what the devices do and stuff. And just out of the blue, you hear, and the camera guy, like, turned around and was <laughs> freaking out. He saw, like, a, a shadow of a person run down the hallway. And I know everybody was in that room. There was nobody else in the building. And he goes, well, you guys were playing jokes on us, right? And this guy's not into paranormal. He's just a, you know, camera guy for the news. And he, I was like, yeah, let's run down there and see. And there was nobody there. And he's like, I swear I saw somebody. And I heard that growl. And he played his tape back on his camera and you could actually hear the growl is it, it sounded like it was standing right next to the camera and I was like oh yeah that happens all the time like nonchalant because you know I'm so used to it but he was freaked out and he didn't want to be in there anymore so he left 
And so we were just standing there trying to figure out what just happened. Um, it scared him that bad. And all of a sudden, from my ear to the bottom of my, my neck, almost to my Adam's apple, down the, down the side of my chin, um, I got these three scratch marks. And you can actually see it forming. And my hands are still full. And I was like, hey, my neck, I don't know if you've ever dealt with anything like touching you paranormal-wise. Um, I haven't. It, it has a... It's like a warm feeling, but it's almost like electric shock, kind of, sort of. It's a very unique feel. And this is the first time I've ever, I've been touched before, but I've never been like scratched, physically attacked. And I'm just standing there and it started bleeding and there's these three marks. And, you know, everybody talks about the, you know, the three marks. It's like a trinity, mm -hmm. it's almost like evil and stuff. I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. So I'm, I, in my scientific mind, I was like, well, okay, what would cause this? And I could not figure it out for the life of me. There's no rhyme or reason why these scratch marks appeared unless it had to be paranormal. Um, Cause scratch marks just don't show up for no reason and start bleeding while you're standing there with your hands full. So um, I pull uh, my ghost box out and a ghost box is just, it's at the time it was a radio, uh, a radio shack radio. And we hacked it. So it never stops scanning through the channels so it's like six channels per second it's just you know, steady and constant scanning the channels uh they use it all the time on like ghost adventures and stuff now mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty popular but back then i i wasn't really for sure how to use it you know i i was it was still new to me um so i'm standing there asking questions and i was like can you tell me who you are why did you attack me all this stuff and nothing and i always actively listen which means on my digital voice recorder i plug my headphones in so i could hear what i'm recording right then and there so if i could pick up any evps i can hear them at the time and go back and re-listen to it and go hey I, we're talking to a little kid here i just heard a little kid's voice so i can go back and actually listen to it because a lot of people they record and then they go the next day and listen to their audio but you've already missed your chance if you catch an evp you know you're already gone from the place so I like doing it right then and there so I can interact with whatever just talked to me. Um, it's just, I, I, I have to investigate that way. Um, anyway, so through the ghost box, you hear noises and voices. And I was like, can you tell me what your name is? Because we had no idea what this person's name was that supposedly died in the building. So I'm standing there and I was like, okay, I make a deal with you. If you tell me what your name is, I'll never step foot in this building because obviously you don't want me here because you scratched me. And as soon as I said that through the ghost box, it said the guy's name. It said a name. Okay, <laughs> I'm getting to that. <laughs> okay, so it said a name and I was like, okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, and I never stepped back in, in that building again for like three years because I made that promise because it was like, okay, if it's a person, I, I have to respect that. I made the deal with them. I was like, you know, if you tell me your name, I won't bother you anymore. So I didn't go back in that building. We get a call from a lady that says, hey, I know you guys are a paranormal team. Have you ever investigated the red building that's in the parking lot of the museum? And I was like, well, yeah. And she goes, well, I worked there when it was the city waterworks building and my coworker killed himself. And I was like, are, are you kidding me? And she was like, yeah. And she goes, his name was, and just out of the, you know, because he might still have family around here, just, just call him Bill. Okay. Um, well, uh, Bill used to work here and Bill um, hung himself in the closet because he was working third shift like dispatch. 
and he was going to go to jail and he didn't want to go to jail. He left like a, a note saying that he couldn't go to jail again and uh, he couldn't do it. So he hung himself in the closet. I'm going to find out right where I got the voice of the guy's name and the name I picked up was Bill. And it's, uh, it was his name. And it, this is, you know, three years have passed and I had no idea who the Bill was. And I just kept telling people, it said Bill. So I don't know who Bill is. But when the lady said, she gave me his last name also. So I was able to track down the information of the building and find his um, birth or his death certificate, his autopsy report, his court records. Uh, I found everything about this guy. It was it was it was a quest to find out who Bill was, and um, I played the tape of him saying the name to the lady that worked there, and she said that's his voice, that's his cadence, that's the way he talked, that's his voice. She she verified his voice, and as an investigator, that's amazing to have somebody that passed away. It was the early '90s when he died, when he hung himself in the closet. And here it is, you know, 2010 or whatever, when this, all this happens and to have her, that's his voice. That's the way he talked, you know, cause she knew him personally for an, an investigator. That's amazing, you know, to actually tie the two together um, because normally we just get voices and we're like, okay, we have this voice on this recording, but I don't know who the voice is. And, you know, could it be Aunt Sally? I, I don't know to actually get somebody to Confirm collaborate. It. Yeah, to confirm the voice that I caught and come to find out who this guy was. And this is where the true crime kicks in. The true crime kicks in in the 1970s. Um, Bill, quotation marks, Bill um, shot and killed his wife in front of the family, in front of her kids. He shot through the front window of their house and she was sitting in a chair and it killed her and he took off running. So they caught him and I have all of his court records and I can send you this if you are interested at all. Um, I have all this documentation. So to back up the stories, it's not just a story. I actually could prove it. Um, so the court records, they found, found him in the, in the um, he was in a farmer's field when they found him after he shot his wife. So he went to jail and this is um, mid 1970s when this happened. So he was in prison from 1970s until 1990 um, for the murder of his wife. That and did, then when he found he did started he, working. Yeah. Did he try to kill her? Was he trying to kill her on purpose or was it an accident? No, he shot at the window. He was mad at her because they were having, it says all this in the court records. They were having an argument and he thought she was cheating on him. Okay. And uh, his, his young kids were there in the house and he just shot his gun in her direction. And it just happened to hit her while she was sitting in the chair, went through the window and hit her. So he was kind of aiming at her. And I don't know if he was trying to scare her and he just, you know, it just happened. It was like, oh, oh, I shot my wife and I didn't mean to, but in the heat of the moment kind of thing, it was like a, you know, a passion crime that you hear about, you know, domestic. And so uh, he goes to jail for all this time from the seventies until the nineties. And when he gets back out, he gets paroled and he starts working for the, the city waterworks as a third shift um, dispatcher. Um, and the note that he left, uh, he was going back to jail for um, <laughs> um, child, child molestation in the 90s. And that's why it said I couldn't go back to jail. He actually, 
I got his police records. I got everything. And he was going to court again. And he was probably going to go to jail for a long time for child molestation. Um, (laughs) So he was not a nice guy. And that explains a lot of what's going on in that building. Now, this sounds crazy, but once I tied all that together and we found out where his gravestone was. So we made the trek to go to his gravestone and on the gravestone, uh, they buried him next to his first wife. So they have dual headstones right next to each other. So it's his wife that he killed in the seventies and him. And on a headstone, it says together forever because the kids (laughs) wanted mom and dad together. That sounds insane, but I actually have pictures of it. I can show you. Uh, um, it's crazy. Documentation. Yeah, it sounds insane. It sounds like, you know, oh, you're making this up, but no, I'm, this is a true, honest to goodness story. I can, I have all the documentation. I can show you if you, if you want. Um, so it sounds insane. So as an investigator, once I found out who this person was and I could tie him to that building, I have all this, I don't know, um, I don't know what you want to call it. It's like I have all this ammo as an investigator to go back into that building and go, hey, I know who you are now. I know your history. I can't be afraid of you because you're a coward and did all this stuff. But in my mind, I'm like, I made a deal with this dude, not knowing who he was or his background, that I wouldn't bother him again. So I was afraid, what if I stepped foot in that building? What could happen to me? You know, because you hear horror stories of, Mm -hmm. you know, people heart attacks. I mean, anything could happen. And it, it, it could he cause that? Possible. I don't know. But I got the better, my, my curiosity got the better of uh, my brain, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm going to break it. I'm going in there and I'm not going alone. I'm going to have people with me. So if I start acting funny or weird, get me out of the building, you know, um, get me out of his territory. So I go back in and we go in full bore. And I was like, dude, I know who you are. I know what you did. Um, The building, it almost started vibrating. It's so hard to explain. Like you walk in there and you're like in somebody's house where you're, you're like trespassing. You don't belong here. And this energy was like pushing us. Like it was almost like walking through like thick, like water almost. It's like, it's hard to explain. It's almost like a, a field of energy. I don't know on your investigations and stuff or, or your events, if you've ever felt that energy, static charge, kind of like a barrier. Um, it, it's pretty amazing once you feel that. But once we got through that, uh, it was almost like half the building was the dark, evil growling and the other half was like a scared person. So <laughs> I know this sounds crazy, but to me, it almost like he split his personality when he hung himself in the closet, you know, because the dark, that bad energy. And then when he did that, maybe he caused a rip in the building, like the evil part of him is in one side of the building. And then him as a person is trapped there. So it's, I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, It sounds insane, but um, yeah, almost like the building. Yeah, go ahead. like one spirit became two yeah like he split the good part and the bad part of himself in half like he split himself when he when he hung himself in the closet it was almost like a battle of good and evil you know and he couldn't go back to jail so something in his head was like i have to take the easy way out i guess you know i can't go through that again so the building actually feels like it's broken like it's ripped in half like you go on one side of the building it's very dark very hard to breathe 
And then on the other side, you go and it just feels like you could feel like an energy there, but it's not aggressive. It's not trying to attack you. So um, we tried and tried and tried to, it's like, we know who you are. Um, it's okay to cross over, you know, try to cross, cross them over. I mean, to, so maybe he's in his own purgatory. I, I don't know. I, and these are the questions that I'm trying to figure out. Like, you know, it, it, in my mind, I can make sense of it. But in reality, it's like, is he trapped there forever? I mean, because what he did and, and the thoughts in his mind that made him want to hang himself, you know, that that takes a lot of dark energy, you know, to get to that point in your life, you know, where you have no hope. And is that energy still trapped in that building? It's like, how do I help him? Or can I even help him? You know, it's like, that's where I'm stuck at now. So I didn't know if anybody that listens to your show, if you could reach out, you know, let you know, maybe I could try something different because I, I don't know really what to do from this point. We've had psychics go in and try to pass them over and they say, you know, well, I feel like his energy has gone, but is it the good energy or the bad energy? Because there's still bad energy in that building and people are still getting scratched. And so you could have crossed the good part over, but is that bad energy still trapped there? You know, is that, I don't even know if that's possible. It's very, it's very confusing to me. And for a long time, it's really bothered me. It's like, how do I help him? Or do I just let him be, you know, just let him have the building because it's a storage building. So just stay out of it and let him have whatever he has in there, you know, but the people that work in the museum still have to go in there because they have work to do. You know, they have to go in there and um, there's a lot of artifacts and they have to, you know, categorize all the artifacts and, you know, bring them into the museum and take more out, and it, you know, so they have to be in that building and they're afraid to go in there sometimes, you know, because uh, they're afraid they're going to get scratched and stuff again. So I, I guess I'm just looking for answers. I really don't know what to do. I wonder if something of his uh, personal object is still in that building and maybe that's what's keeping it there. That's very possible because the 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 only really standing structure is still that closet where he hung himself because the door is there and it's concrete. So there's cinder blocks, the walls are cinder blocked, and then the door. So they didn't tear that down because it's actually holding some of the building up where mm -hmm. the closet is. So maybe I need to search in there and see if I can find something that might have been like a tool of his or who who knows. You know, I never really scavenged and looked for anything i never really thought that he could be tied to like an object he his energy could be tied to an object i really i guess i didn't think about that does is but there a sense. drop is there a drop down ceiling in there where yeah yeah and, there is so oh i didn't so maybe up above the drop part maybe put worth, something up there it's worth hmm. looking at yeah because i know uh one part of it there's a couple squares missing and you can see the actual like metal I-beam rafters. Mm -hmm. And we think that's where he hung himself at, you know, because it's still left there. And, you know, ever since that happened, they moved out of the building and opened up a new building for the city. And then it just became, you know, uh, a storage place. So that's very possible. Maybe the next time I go in there, I'll, I'll try to try to find something like that, go up there and get a ladder and see if there's anything up there. Cause yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. So you, on the podcast, or tell me again the name of the podcast that you do on, on that uh, museum and the surrounding buildings. Okay, uh, the, the podcast we do, and it's just straight history. It's not paranormal at the moment. Uh, it's called Assembling History Podcast from Old Caltown Museum. 
So you just type in assembling history and you should be able to find it. Um, but yeah, and then we just break down each building and where it came from and who used to live there. And I could go on for hours talking about um, all the activity that in each building and break it down to, you know, who used to live in this building. And it's, it's, it's an insane place. And if you guys ever need a place to like do a live event from, this would be the place. Because uh, we always have like during October and stuff, um, big events. And we always sell out every ticket that we do because people want to hear the stories and actually get to tour the buildings where the things happen. And we've actually had uh, Mike and Chris from the Wraith Chasers. They were on TV. Oh, yeah. The Tennessee Wraith Chasers. Yeah, from Tennessee. They've come and, yeah, they, they've come and done a lot of um, uh, events at, at Cowtown. And they always have a blast. And they're just like, this place is insane. No matter where you go, you get EVPs as soon as you walk in, or you get touched, or you get this or that. And it constantly changes. We have new stuff happen all the time. And it's like, are they bringing in new artifacts to have energy attached to it? Now that you brought that up, I mean, it's it's possible because now there's a lady in white that roams around the town. And it's like, that wasn't there, you know, two years ago. And now all of a sudden it's here. It's like, where did she come from? Especially when you, from a building from the 1890s. You said that they brought in buildings too that weren't originally there and, and have, right. have brought them onto the, I know they did, uh, they did a lot of that in Old Spring, Texas. And, uh, you know, right outside of Houston and the same situations happened there. They, they brought in these buildings from other places and, you know, there, there you go. There ended up stuff that was attached to them that wasn't even from that town, you know. And doing the history, I found out about the family. And, okay, so there's one building that everybody loves, and it looks like this old Victorian-style house. And it was Marshall Murdoch, and he started the Wichita Eagle, which is the local newspaper, back in the 1890s. And this is his house. It was downtown Wichita, and they moved it to the museum. His daughter, um, he had like seven kids. And so we learned all about the family. And long story short, one of his kids, her name was Love and Tangle. Like it's like a, um, a flower, but now it's, it's a weed. It's just love and then N and then Tangle. Um, but everybody always talks about a little girl that they see in this house all the time. And she died of spina meningitis when she was nine years old. And so she's still in the house. I've seen her. She looks, and this, this sounds weird, but um, uh, Little House on the Prairie, uh, Nellie Olson. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I'm dating myself. Um, but she had the curly blonde hair and the, and the dress. And uh, it's the exact same time period. And we've all seen her in this building and just manifest right in front of us. So we hear, um, I brought my daughter in one time uh, for an event and I was like, hey, Tangle, because that's what everybody calls her. This is my daughter. Would you like to say hi to her? And you can actually hear footsteps down the stairs. And my daughter was like, that was her. And I was like, yeah, because the door's locked. There's nobody up there um, because there are just empty rooms up there. Uh, they don't let the general public go upstairs. Um, so you can actually hear her running down the stairs. Uh, it's well, hopefully, crazy. hopefully she's got a better attitude than Nellie Olson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah exactly nothing bad's ever happened in a house that's very playful um we've actually got uh, evps so many evps we've actually caught blue and i'm not a big fan of orbs because you always hear about the ghost orbs and stuff in yeah. pictures um i'm i have to see them with my own eyes you know it's like uh, they have to give off their own light source like a spirit orb is what i call it yeah when i actually came down the stairs of the murdoch house it was blue like a uh 
like almost like a sea blue kind of thing. And it was about the size of a, I don't know, like a, a small basketball, like a kid sized basketball. And it came down the stairs and slammed into the wall in front of, there was probably 25 people there because it's during an event. And they're like, what the heck was that? All these people seen it come down the stairs and slam into the wall. And one lady had to leave because she was so afraid. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's, I think it's Tangle. It's just, that's how she manifests herself sometimes. Um, things have moved around that house, like tables will move. Um, you'll hear somebody sound like from the kitchen, like they're cooking. Uh, some of the cowboys that uh, reenact in there, that you're not allowed to go in the buildings with your hat back in those days because it was like disrespectful. So some of the cowboys will go in and not take their hat off. And they'll actually go past the parlor and, you know, back in the history days, you weren't allowed past the parlor because that's the family's part of the house. You were only allowed the front parlor and um, you go past that with your hat on and it almost feels like you, you make them angry. So one of the cowboys actually like messes with them and hey, watch this. And then you can almost feel like he, okay, okay, that's enough. I'm sorry. I was just messing with you. Um, it, it's just the people that work there. They interact with them all the time. Uh, they all, when they walk in the house, they say, hey, Tangle, it's just so-and-so. They, they introduce yourself to her so she's not afraid. Um, she's part of the museum almost as much as the building is. I mean, everybody talks about her and everybody still sees her looking out the windows and it, it's just insane. And that's just one building out of like 50. You know, I could go on all night long each building and talk about what we've caught there and the history and it's just an, it's an insane place. Let's end on this. Let's go back to your, uh, your previous paranormal investigating. Give okay. me one example and I'll leave it up to you to choose one example of something that you personally experienced that maybe scared you a little bit or freaked you out, or just was like the most incredible thing that you've ever seen while you were investigating any, anything come to mind immediately? Yes. Um, we have a, a, a town just North of us. It's called Hutchinson, Kansas. They have a salt mine That's a museum and it's 650 feet straight down. And you take a, an elevator, a mine shaft elevator, and it takes 90 seconds to get from the top to the bottom. And down there is a museum. Uh, it, it's, they have, historical artifacts from uh from hollywood there because it's always 65 degrees it's nice. always the, temperature, the floor the ceiling the, the everything's salt and it's just compacted salt from the miners they'd go in there and that's how they get like rolled road salt and all that kind of stuff but it's underneath the whole town and it goes for miles and miles and miles football field after football field you go down in the mine and it's the darkest dark you possibly could ever think of 650 feet down and you shut the lights off you cannot see anything uh, i mean it's almost like you're blind it's a really weird feeling but anyway so we're down there and the mine uh the guys that work down there a part of the museum part of the mine because it's still an active mine like a mile and a half away from where the museum part is um they still mine for road salt and all that kind of stuff anyways so uh six people have died in that mine since the 1930s um, there's been accidents and by the time they get them back up to the top, you know, they didn't make it. Uh, so they always talk about, uh, the ghost orbs that they see, they see bright lights bouncing around in the mine when there shouldn't be any light source down there. There's no bugs. There's no nothing 650 feet down. 
So we're down there doing an event and I'm standing there out in the middle of nothing, just standing there. There's not anything around me for miles. And I'm standing there with six people and through my recorder, I can hear footsteps coming up from behind me on the, on the salt, like heel toe footsteps. I turn around with a flashlight and for as far as my flashlight shines, there's nobody there and everybody's standing there and they all heard it like somebody walking up behind me and we were standing there in the dark. So it's very possible that somebody could have walked up behind me. I would have never known it because you can't see. Right. Um, but these, these are loud because you're almost like, uh, you know, you you took away your sight. So your hearing gets like amplified, you know, it's almost like your other senses take over. And um, I turn around and, there's nothing behind me. And all of a sudden I see this, this blue, red, it was almost like a cop car. It's weird. This light kept uh, strobing from blue to red, blue to red. And it was like a ball and it was just kind of floating there. And we're all like, do you see that? Am I hallucinating? Or, you know, is there gas down here that I'm, you know, I shouldn't be in the mind. I thought I was losing my, my mind. And Everybody else looks and they're like, no, I could see it. And it was like half of it was blue and half of it was red, but it was like alternating, like spinning. And then it just takes off and slams into the wall and gone. And we all run down there and there's nothing there. And there's no marks, no, no rhyme or reason for it. So I'm standing there going, <laughs> we're in their territory. <laughs> we're 650 feet down. You know, we can't easily get to the exit. You know, there's only one mine cart going up and down. That's it. I mean, if something happened, we would be hosed. Um, so that was probably the scaredest I've ever been just because I, I, I couldn't explain it. And in my mind was trying to rationalize what the heck that is, what would make that ball. There was no light source. There's no nothing down there for miles. So, um, I, I think it might've been one of the miners that, you know, that passed away down there. It was just their energy and that's how they manifest themselves. Um, they also talk about the Tommy knockers down there and the Tommy. That's knockers, what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the miners are very superstitious. If you hear a knocking sound, run because it means a cave-in. And being that this is all salt, um, for some reason in Kansas, all of a sudden we've started having earthquakes. And it's it's insane. Uh, I've never felt earthquakes here in the 20 years I've lived here. But in the last like five or six years, we get like 4.3 earthquakes. It, it's crazy. Um, but the earthquakes are above where you are in the mind. So if you're in the mine and an earthquake happens, it happens above you. It's only like, you know, because you're 600 feet down. So it's weird to have an earthquake above you. So, yeah, the 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 ceiling could crack a little bit. So some of these sounds, maybe pieces are falling and stuff. But we didn't see anything that night that makes any sense to what that was. Um, yeah, and they're like, well, maybe it was a tummy knocker. And they're, the miners are like, don't say that out loud because – you know, if you hear that knocking sound, it means there's a caving coming. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're very superstitious. They're like, don't even say that, and, you know, because they believe these creatures live down in the mine that they n make a loud knocking sound. Um, yeah, if there's ever a, a cave in <laughs> to warn the miners. It's just, it's a very unique place. Uh, and Kansas, I never thought that, you know, you would have very unique places to investigate as a paranormal investigator because it's just flat nothing. You know, not yep. a whole lot of history, but man, there's so many things. I mean, with that mine, I never thought I'd be able to investigate in a mine that's 650 feet down. You turn on your ghost box, you get no radio frequencies. So if you get a voice through that thing, it can't be radio because radio doesn't reach that far down in the ground. 
So we've actually caught voices and stuff through the ghost box. And it's like, I can't explain that. I can't just say it's radio feedback because there's no radio signals down that far. I want to tell you a little something that kind of ties ties uh, together a little something you did with what we did on what we're talking about. Tracy and I used to work uh, years ago at a place here in Louisville called Louisville Mega Cavern. And Mm -hmm. if you've ever been there, it's an old quarry that actually runs underneath a bunch of the freeway and it runs underneath the Louisville Zoo and all that, much like you were talking about with the, the salt mine. Well, because it's a constant temperature down there, there's a bunch of Hollywood artifacts there as well. The original Gone with the Wind and the original, to speak of Kansas, Wizard of Oz is actually kept (laughs) there at that mega cavern. So I thought it was funny when you mentioned that with the salt mine. And then here you're talking about Kansas, that there's a Kansas connection with the Wizard of Oz down here. And uh, down in the salt mine, they actually have the George Clooney Batman suit down there. They have... um, the Mr. Freeze suit that Arnold Schwarzenegger wore from the movie, they have it behind glass, but they have all these uh, Hollywood artifacts down there. And it's just kind of cool. It's like, I don't know what's tied to some of these. They actually have original prints from the movie reels because it won't deteriorate down in the mine because there's no bugs. There's no, you know, the humidity and all that stuff's the same. All yeah, it's awesome. Long. Yeah. So that that's cool that it has, uh, we have the Dorothy, um, the the thing from Twister. The, the thing that they put all the balls in that sucked into the, the oh yeah the yeah yeah they actually have that that the metal round thing down in the mine so it's crazy everything at once down in that mine stays in the mine they never take it back out so there's trash down there from the miners back in the 30s they have a whole room uh it's like a nine by nine room full of garbage and trash that the miners left back in the 30s and why wouldn't they take dirt. that out because uh, it's you only have one minecart, and it's only maybe fifteen people can fit in this minecart, and that's shoulder to shoulder. So they just don't have back in the day. They had to take everything apart, send it down the mine, and it wasn't worth taking back up again. You know, it wouldn't sense. be worth it. Wouldn't be worth it. So they just filled this whole room full of nothing but trash. There's candy bar wrappers, everything that the miners left in the '30s. There's a car down there, and the car they had to take it apart, put it in the mine, send it down and put it back together but it's not uh, a motor it's electric because you know a, a gas-powered motor would be very right. bad and it's in a mine down 650 feet down so they would plug this thing into a generator and drive it as fast as they could and once it unplugged to see how far they could coast there's actually a car down there and it's coasted up against the wall and it's been sitting there since the 40s because they just left it and it's still there and it's still pristine. You could still see like how the miners rigged this car up to go electric, you know, back in the day. It, it's That's very awesome. cool. Yeah. It's just the history alone um, because Kansas used to be under an ocean and that's why there's salt everywhere down there because it was like the ocean was so salty. There was hardly any animals in it. So throughout all these years, now it's a mine, you know, the whole town of Hutchinson, Kansas, is a salt mine uh, and the museum is there is just amazing um but that's probably the scariest i've ever been because i just felt trapped because it was like there was how do i get out of here you know i can't really run away <laughs> you know i can't even see where i'm going um yeah so that was pretty crazy um we actually investigated the uh the branson uh the titanic museum and that was a pretty interesting place because they've actually uh the artifacts there in the, in branson uh, at the museum, they actually have artifacts from Titanic, and they mm-hmm. 
talk about wet footprints on the floor and little kids laughing and giggling. And that's probably another strange thing when you're standing there in the dark and you hear a little kid laughing at you and you turn around and there's no little kids in the building at all, but it's like, ha ah, and you hear the running. That freaks me out too. It's like something about ghost kids. I've been to the Titanic Museum in Pigeon Forge, which is supposed to be just like the one uh, in Branson. But of course, they've got uh, different artifacts there than what they have. But right. yeah, that's it's pretty cool to know that there's that you're that close to some of the artifacts from from the actual Titanic. Yeah, and to be standing next to like a life preserver that was actually used by a survivor, you know, and just hanging behind glass, it's like wow, you know, what kind of energy does that thing hold? You know, it's like. Um, yeah, like the haunted collector kind of now that you got me thinking right. about that, you know, artifacts actually holding energy and stuff. Um, yeah. So some of these places you just walk into, it's like walking back in time. And as a historian, I love that kind of stuff. You know, as you're standing in a building that somebody lived in and, you know, since the 1800s, it's like, if these walls could talk, you know, what did they see? You know, what did they hear? And the wood that you're standing on, you know, it's the exact same wood, you know, from day one. It's just weird. Yeah, I'm determined it, that this year or next year, we're going to go to Colonial Williamsburg because, you know, that whole living museum thing. And it's not that far from us. And I've always wanted to go. So I'm going to make that happen here soon. Oh, awesome. I don't know if you've ever been to Gettysburg before, but that's another Pass place. Through five um, minutes. We were in and out at the gift shop uh, on our way back. And we had a live show set up there, but it was the year the COVID hit in 2020. Oh. And we had to cancel because we were going to do it at the, uh, the fire department there. Oh, yeah. Um, just walking onto that battlefield, it's like taking a step back in time. You're just ready to hear cannons and see you soldiers. It, it, it's those kind of places as, as as an investigator, plus as a historian, just standing there and that that energy that you feel. It's like, what did the people live? You know, how did they live and how did they feel? It's almost like a passion of mine. You know, it, it, the ghosts are cool and stuff. And when I have stuff happen, that's cool. But it's almost the history is more uh, a appeasing to me it's like you know just to think about you know if walls could talk kind of thing that's what i tell people about our show you know we're classified as a paranormal show but honestly if you listen to it 75 percent of what we talk about is the history of the place as you know the paranormal fits into it but it's the history is what even makes the paranormal important yeah and that and that's like with that true crime story that i told if i wouldn't have known you know, the, the, the back history of the building, I would have been left going, okay, who's bill, you know, I would have never known. Right. Knowing the history of the building. Then once you get to know the location, they talk to you and then you can tie the paranormal to the living people that live there. And that's why I liked your show because you always go deep into the history of the house. You know, it's like, you know, you talk about the, the ax murder house, but you, you explain about the house, not just paranormal events. And, you know, a lot of this, they tie together without the history of the building. You don't know the history of the paranormal. I know we were doing the episode Sunday night and uh, I was going through all the, the details of this hotel and everything, you know, at the mission Inn in California. And mm-hmm. I was getting through and then we had to stop for something. And I was about I had about 20 pages worth of notes and we were about six pages in. And I was talking about still ownership and the architectural design. Then uh, we got through, I put it on pause for a second. Tracy's like, there is paranormal in this, right? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, how long have we been doing it? We've done over 300 episodes and we always tell the history of a place before we get into it. So yeah, there's paranormal, but I mean. <laughs> but see, I, I think that's what makes sure your, your show um, unique because you do that history and then paranormal. It's not just getting into these ghost stories because 
uh, once you get into the paranormal part, you almost have a connection with the people that live there because you know their back history, you know, you know about their death and their life and death. So you have a connection with the paranormal stuff that happened. You know, they're still in that house and you have connection with those people. And you can um, speculate. Yeah. Because I can just say, well, this haunting happened, that haunting. You're like, oh, okay, that's cool. But if I, you know, the history, you'll be like, oh, that's probably old man Robinson. Yeah. Or that's probably, you know, this would make sense because he lived lived in that, you know, living room all the time. And, you know, now he's haunting, you know, but you can't do yeah. that if you don't know the history of the backstory. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love being, that's part of my job as a paranormal investigators, finding out the history of the building, you know, who lived there, who died there, you know, so we have an idea of, okay. Could it be grandma or is it, you know, a very evil spirit? We don't know what we're getting into and you're going in blind. That's not good, you know, as an investigator, because you never know what you're walking into. It's just like going to the bad part of town. If you don't know what you're getting into, you can get in trouble real fast. And going right. into these old, old buildings that have no electricity or you don't know what you're getting into, you almost have to do like recon missions. It's like, okay, this is this building, this part of the building don't go into because you can fall through the floor. You know, right. you don't think about that. <laughs> On TV, they don't talk about that. They're just in there and they're like, demons, talk to me. It, well, they're there for a little week before trying to scope out the place and where the activity happens and why does it happen in this part of the building and not another part of the building because of the history, you know. Uh, without history, you have no paranormal. I mean, you're just kind of guessing, you know, you're going in blind and you might not ever have anything happen to you because you're in the wrong part of the building. Nobody's ever died in that part. You know, they died over there and that's where all the energy is. Bob, it's been a blast having you on. I, I know it took a while, but I think it was well worth the wait. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you uh, uh, doing the show and all the hard work you put into it. Uh, it it's definitely entertaining and I, I i'll listen all the time uh you've got a lifelong listener um and it's uh it's an honor to be on your show i appreciate that tell everybody again the name of your two podcasts and how they can keep up with all things bob gilmer <laughs> um it's villain villa podcast and assembling history podcast i run both of those pages on facebook so if you ever want to get a hold of me just send a message and you'll talk directly right to me so um, if you have any questions about paranormal or, or history or about the museum, I'd be happy to talk to you. Or if you're going to visit Kansas, I'll, I'll give you a tour of the museum, too, uh, if you want uh, the paranormal stuff, because I love doing that. So I'd be happy to. And your wife wouldn't part of this, but she is a, a, a well-known uh, author in the paranormal romance. Why don't you go ahead and throw her a plug in there, too? Um, her name is Candace Gilmer, and she uh, writes books. So all you have to do is look up C-A-N-D-I-C-E Gilmer, G-I-L-M-E-R, on the internet, and you'll find all about her books and, and all that stuff. She has over 30 books out now. So if you're in the paranormal and romance or just straight romance, uh, yeah, give her a shout out. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, brother. I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right, guys, that wraps it up for us this week. Thank you for everything you do. Like I said, if you fathers are out there listening, happy Father's Day. Yeah, happy Father's Day, guys. We love y'all. 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 <laughs> <laughs> happy Father's Day to my daddy in heaven. I miss you so much. Yeah. And happy Juneteenth. I almost forgot. Yeah. Say y'all have a blessed week enjoy next week hopefully it's beautiful like we had this past week and we will talk to you guys later